Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, We are in week six of our Philippian series. Pastor Joby, what do you see God doing in our church through this series overall? How's it How's it been? From your well, this week, I saw him save people. Amen. Amen. So praise God for that. Amen. <clears throat> Man, I don't know. He, it's, um, I think one of the things we've seen, you know, sorry I was out last week, right? I don't have, I don't have control over that. And we've had guest preachers like H.B. Charles, um, it, man, isn't the power just in the Word of God? Amen. I mean, I know we all believe that. Yeah. But that's one of the things I've seen, especially as a as a professional churchman who have t- taken classes and read books on how to grow churches and strategy to, you know, man, it's just I love our church so much. I love what God's doing. We just get in here, open the Bible, go verse by verse for an hour of just straight Bible study is what it is. I mean, it's one way monologue Bible study, and and then the people respond in incredible ways. Mm-hmm. The biggest one being salvation, but I don't think it's it's not unique to the Book of Philippians. It's just it's, it's God's word, and it, and we know the verses. It doesn't return void. It does what it's going to do. But I mean, that's what we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Do you see, uh, Pastor Britt, do you see, how do you see Philippians impacting abundant life in your life or in people that are in the church? Yeah, I think it's uh, chapter 127, verse 27, only let your life, only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like I think so far the journey through Philippians for our church, that that's kind of the anchor text that mm-hmm. we keep coming back to and that um, is the thing that I'm seeing bear the fruit because I think God has put a genuine desire in a lot of folks that that would be true of them. And they know that that is simultaneously a road that is marked with suffering and filled with joy, rejoice, Mm -hmm. joy again, joy again, joy again. I mean, that's what Philippians is known for. Um, So I think that the 1010 life, the, the pursuit of, walking in the abundant life as offered by Jesus, that these two roads are in fact one road. And that the thing that makes that road worth walking is the gospel of Jesus Christ and pursuing a life worthy of that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the natural, the genuine desire, whether it be of moms or husbands or work, you know, whatever, students, whatever stage of life you're in, mm-hmm. the desire to want to live a life worthy of the gospel is like, yes, and I, I want to do that. I want the abundant life. And then as we work through Philippians, putting the pieces together on what that actually looks like. So that's what I sense God's doing in our church. It's just, I wouldn't call it a roadmap to the abundant life, but I think it's a really good, it's it's very uh, doctrinal on one hand, but it is very practical and it's got handles in regards to like, how that actually plays out in your week to week and month to month. You know what I'm saying? So part of the reason so. I picked Philippians to go through is because this is the 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 year of a abundant life. 
And I do think Philippians helps us understand what abundant life is, regardless of your circumstances. For sure. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that, right? Uh, tonight, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So now we're getting a little more instruction on how to rejoice. So you're not rejoicing in your life. You're not rejoicing in your circumstances. You can rejoice in prison because you're not rejoicing in the fact that you're in prison. You're rejoicing in the Lord. It's it's helping uh, give handles. That's a good way to say it. Give handles to what does an abundant life look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to see that fruit because I think when you first hear abundant life, and you talked a lot about this when we introduced the 1010 journey, people would probably go first in their minds to abundance of stuff maybe. And maybe they've heard preachers talk about it that way, but the abundant life is Jesus. So you said that over and over again. So as we flesh this book out, this letter out, it just continues to hammer on that same theme, you know, to rejoice in the Lord. That's the abundant life. That's right. You know, that's the abundant life. Even in suffering is the abundance of joy in Christ. So he starts, you talked about this in, in your sermon tonight, to, re, to repeat the same things or to write the same things. It's no trouble for me and safe for you. Um, now, do you think he's talking about specifically the word rejoice or more than more than that that he's about to say? I think he's talking about what he's about to talk about. Okay. Because, I mean, it seems to me, obviously I'm a big Romans fan, as we all are. are. It's called, I think It's called being a Christian. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I think... Um, Philippians 3, 9 is, is like the summation of Romans 3, 20 and following. Mm-hmm. So he uses about five sentences there to unpack what, what righteousness means, and he sums it all up in one sentence. Mm. I think that's what he's talking about. I'm going to remind you of the gospel. And I think what he means, he, he's like, and this is safe for you, because it's very dangerous if you believe the lies of the Judaizers, the dogs that want to mutilate flesh, mm-hmm. or anybody that wants to add to or subtract from this gospel. That is very, very dangerous. Mm. But what is what is safe is for us to be constantly reminded of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does repetition play into your strategy as a preacher? Um. I don't know. How long do you need to hear something before it finally sinks in? I know I need to hear the same things, right, over and over and over and over and be reminded. I would rather our people know a whole lot about the gospel Mm -hmm. than to know a little bit about all the other things that are in the Scripture. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now, all Scriptures God breathed, it's all useful it's all inspired. It's all inerrant. But I would rather just keep coming back to things like justification and propitiation and salvation and those things over and over and over because, man, we know this in our own life. The gospel leaks out of us, man. That's true. Like the reality that we are we are loved by God, it just, man, it just leaks out. And, and I need a refill every week too. So I need it for me as much as anybody. Yeah. I think it happens when you lay down. Something about turning your head this way <laughs> right. sleep just comes on out. Well, I think it's I think it's an interesting question. You know, we could talk for days just about how culture is formed among a people. And whether that's like congregational culture or team culture or the culture in your house. 
Right. The the family legacy that you're trying to to leave, right, over time. Well, the, the culture is formed around the language of like-minded leaders or like-minded people. And so the long and short of what I'm getting at is if I want to raise my children in an environment whereby there are principles instilled in them that will navigate the rest of their life, the way I do that is by telling stories, not giving instructions. And so if I tell my kids stories about my childhood or about my father or about bravery or about integrity or about courage, if I say, you need to, you need to be brave, yeah. it's not near as sticky as if I tell them a story about someone practicing bravery. That they are connected to. That they're connected to. That they have a, an emotional connection in or even a genetic connection because what your kids will implicitly it'll get on them is like wait granddad did that that's my granddad right i've got some of him in me mm-hmm. i mean that's what we're doing that's what you're that's what you're doing right so i think that's a lot of what pastor joby's whether it's articulated strategy or just intuitive strategy yeah, it's more and, instinct yes yeah, intuitive is that the, the the stories, whether it be about his dogs or about his dad or about Dylan or whatever, what that's doing is is stories that help a people understand a discipleship culture and what that actually means in our life. And it gives you things to go back to that that we all share in common, that we all understand and connect to, right? And I think that's what Apostle Paul's doing. Apostle mm-hmm. Paul's saying you got to think about this, brother. He's really the first one, or one of one of the very first ones, to try to teach people what the culture of the kingdom of God is. Mm. And it's a totally different culture, especially to uh, a Gentile people, and even harder to a Jewish people mm-hmm. because they actually thought they understood what God's agenda was, but completely missed the invasion of the kingdom. Correct. And there's a whole new culture at work in the world. And Paul's trying to help him understand by saying, hey, I don't mind telling you this over and over again. So I'm sorry to go on the culture rant, but the way you get there is through telling stories and putting language on repeat. Mm -hmm. That's how you create culture over time. And we didn't invent that. I mean, that's as old as as the Apostle Paul. I think Galatians might be the only New Testament non-gospel book that doesn't have a let me remind you. In it, and I could be wrong there. He's pretty hot on Galatians, so he just starts off with like, wrath. "Who bewitched you?" <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, <clears throat> but I mean, Corinthians does it in both. I mean, just over and over and over. Yeah. E- even in even in the in the uh, pastoral epistles, he's like, "I'm reminded of our tears." There's a lot of like, "Let me mm-hmm. remind you, let me mm-hmm. remind you, let me remind you." Yeah, I mean, think about it, man. The the fact that we have four different accounts that we call the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And the majority of it is all just repetition, especially right. especially the the synoptic, synoptic gospels. Right. So I mean, even God and His sovereignty over the canonization of the mm-hmm. Word of God that would be with us mm-hmm. until He returns, He decided I'm at least going to retell the mm-hmm. life, death, and resurrection of my Son and ascension and promised return at least four times. Mm-hmm. There's something to that. Yeah. So, and if it, even if just from like a preaching hack standpoint. If you'll notice tonight, I told a story that I told last year. It was May, the last time I did it. It's not even my story. It's Alistair Begg's story. But I didn't retell the whole time, the whole thing this time. I just referenced back to it enough. And um, if people were here last time, I did it when I taught Psalm 23 last time. 
you, I don't know, man, you remember, you re-remember some stuff. Sometimes mm-hmm. you hear some stuff you didn't hear the first time. I hope and pray everybody does go and hear his full, you know, full illustration. So sometimes when you remind somebody, it's kind of like the the rabbinical trick, the remez. You don't have mm-hmm. to give them the whole story. Yeah. You know, I mean, at this point in our church, I can be like, I have dogs. I had dogs. They hated the crate, but they loved. And everybody would go cheese, mm-hmm. and it's just a, it, like it's in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that somebody's driving around and they see temptation and they think cheese, mm-hmm. and they go to that story. And they're like, I'm like the dog. I don't want to end up in the crate. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I, that's what I do. Yeah, I think a lot of, so you're talking about the Gospels. Uh, based on what I've read, uh, a lot of scholars agree that Jesus didn't tell his stories just one time. Sure. And so when you read the different Gospels, they say, well, this seems like that this detail is a little different of him telling this story or giving this parable. You know, one person put it at this point in his ministry or at this point. Well, he may have told it many, 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 many times. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. There was the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and then there's like the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. Mm-hmm. And it's like same general outline, but it's different. Right. Right. Yeah, he totally did. He's like a traveling. So if he's a traveling rabbi, he's right. not going to just give a new message every time he goes. He's going to keep saying the messages that he's he's already said. Preachers still do that today, for sure. Um, so speaking of, uh, you know, he says he, after he talks about repeating, he says we are the circumcision, um, and he gives three things. We are the circumcision, one, who worship by the Spirit of God, two, glory in Christ, and three, put no confidence in the flesh. I, I think it's, I always think it's crazy when, he, when you have Paul making a statement like that, he picks those three things. You know, there's got to be some significance to those three things. And Pastor Joby, you spent quite a bit of time on the confidence in the flesh part, um, and, and he gives a lot about his own reasons for confidence, but... Uh, you mentioned the scorecard, right? Mm-hmm. That we have that scorecard, which would be would be Jesus plus something else. Mm-hmm. We would say, yeah, okay, that's our tendency, right? Uh, that's the religious tendency. Um, so, w- what's the difference between keeping a scorecard in in the negative way, and then also a person's desire to see evidence and fruit of things changing in their life? Explain the difference. The difference is. <clears throat> Is it um, self-righteous earning or is it grace-driven effort? Mm -hmm. That's the fundamental difference. Am I working for the approval of God? Bad. Am I working from the approval of God? Good. Mm -hmm. That is the difference. Yeah. So it is motivation. I mean, the very same works. Like you could sing a song with your hands in the air. And it could be filthy rags, polluted garments, like so offensive to God because you know you're on staff and everybody's watching you and you just want to show off, right? Or it could be worship because you're being obedient to raise your hands in the sanctuary and you're just pouring out your heart to God. Mm -hmm. So it's all motivation. Mm -hmm. It matters like crazy. Yeah. Do you think your motive can be purely one or the other? Because I often find that there's a little mix always. Well, the key difference in Paul pre and post rubbish mm-hmm. has to do with the Damascus Road. Mm-hmm. Everything pre Damascus Road is right. rubbish. Right. Everything post is that he is God's workmanship, save for good works. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. 
I just want to warn us. Look, you know, the moment, if I were to think, God, you owe me because I've been faithfully pastoring this church for 10 years, bro, you're in a, you're in a bad place right there. Mm-hmm. So the three things that you mentioned there, so in that moment, you are glorying in yourself, which we're going to talk about next week. Mm. You're glorying in your shame is what he's going to say. Mm. So <clears throat> these three things that you mentioned are the opposite of what the Judaizers are doing. Mm. They are not worshiping by the Spirit of God. They're worshiping by the letter of the law of God. Mm -hmm. They are not glorying in Christ. They're glorying in their own work. Mm. And they're not putting confidence in the cross, the finished work of Christ. They're putting confidence in themselves. Mm. So we as Spirit-filled believers are supposed to do these three things. Mm -hmm. Is that a a Bible study hack? Like if when you see lists like that, you turn it to the opposite and and read the opposite. It's one good way to do it. I will yeah. sometimes do that when I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. <clears throat> and then, you know, Philippians isn't a very long book, so I also know what he's going to say in the next mm-hmm. part. And the um, the the when you use a word like glory, that that word doesn't show up a ton mm-hmm. outside of talking about the glory of God. Right. But he uses that word different. And so when I was studying, I just did a little, man, praise God for Logos. You can just click the word and mm-hmm. get two weeks worth of seminary. It's so great. Right. And that word, it doesn't mean weighty like the like the glory of God word means. It means it means to puff your neck up or to poke your chest out or to stick your neck out is what it literally means. It means you're bragging about. Mm-hmm. And so I know that he's going to, that, that the Judaizers are doing the opposite of that. The people that have become enemies of the cross, their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. And it's even on the, like in my Bible, it's on the same line. So just when I was studying it, you could be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. There's something, you know. Yeah. That's a phrase I don't see a lot. Yeah. Why, why does he ex- explain the circumcision party or the, the Judaizers? Like, why was that such a big deal at this time? Because it, it appears in many other letters that Paul writes. Yeah, you see it. You see it in Acts fifteen. Um, the the Jerusalem Council fully and finally mm-hmm. makes a decision. Yeah, I mean the 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 reason it exists is because of the scandal of grace, man. Yeah, I mean none of us really get grace. We all think we bring some merit. Mm-hmm. We just do, mm-hmm. and it's hard to receive the gospel as a free gift. Mm-hmm. We got to do something, don't we? Right, and so I mean, look, we were having we were having a, a meeting with a very seasoned pastor, brilliant, brilliant person, and he was talking about the sin in the life of a person who claimed Christ as their savior. And right at the end, he said, "I sure do hope he repented of that before he died." And I thought, "Are you questioning his salvation based on whether he repented of that particular sin?" Is that what you're saying? I didn't want to blow it up in front of the whole room, but boy, that was a workspace righteousness if I've never heard it. Because mm-hmm. it's not, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. You repent and you daily repent. Mm-hmm. But if you have a struggle late in your life, that does not mean that you've lost your salvation. Right. Even if you have stumbled and fallen and blatantly sinned, right. but claim Christ as your Savior and be like, why do I do the thing I don't want to do and promise I'd never do again? You may be disqualified from ministry and never get to come back, Mm -hmm. but you ain't disqualified from grace. Yeah. That's what leads many people to believe that 
suicide is unforgivable, right? That same line of reasoning, because they'll say you can't yeah. you can't repent of it. Well, that came up like in the, that's like Middle Ages, that's like Catholic Dark, Dark Ages, Dark Age doctrine, right? Right, right. Very deformed Catholicism. Correct. Where that came out of totally, you know? man. Yeah, it, but the, we do not believe or affirm that. No, no. I, but the reason would be the same, right? It's just it, it's sort of a transactional repentance. Like so you die with some kind of unforgiven, yeah, 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 unrepented of sin. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and 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 um, I don't know what unpenanced. Well, I don't know what the unpenanced word would be, mm-hmm. right? Because right. you had, penance has not been paid. Well, right. that's because like Luther's Catholicism believed that you had to add to Jesus's work on the cross to pay your penance, so that your sins post purgatory could be wiped away, and then eventually you go to heaven. Yeah, mm-hmm. so why there was a Reformation because all that all that's made up. Yeah, it's probably this is an understatement. It's probably really hard for us to imagine how difficult it would have been for the early Jews to understand that you didn't have to follow such a, like it was drilled in, like from Abraham, like this is how it marks the covenant, right? And then for somebody to say, they don't have to do that, <laughs> you know? Like even Peter, right? Remember oh, how Paul says in, in Galatians, he says he was kind of going along with it, but then when some some important Jewish people came. He said, "No, no, I'm not going to eat with. I'm not going to eat with the uncircumcised people." Or think know? about: Can you imagine just one day? I mean, let's say you're like 30. Uh, the disciples are probably in their teens, early 20s. So your whole life, you're 22 years old, and you're Matthew, mm-hmm. and it's the the next Pentecost is coming up, not the one where the Spirit fell, but or the Passover, the next Passover, and you're like. Okay, I know we're taking the cup and the bread because he said do this. Yeah, but I'm not taking doves to the temple anymore, uh-huh. bro. I mean, that's like can you? I don't know what the equivalent would be. Like, just imagine, be like, yep, we're not doing presents at Christmas anymore. Right. And it's not even that important. It'd be like, I don't know. We're not going to Easter service. I don't know what the equivalent would be, but it would be tremendous. Because yeah. man, we get. I'm telling you, we get, and that's why I named all those different denominations. It's yes. just, man, d- depending on kind of your your upbringing and your the way the, the Lord has wired you, we have we want to have these like tangible, merited behaviors that we grab onto mm-hmm. and claim them as the most important. Now, most of them are fine as expressions of the impact of grace in our life. Mm-hmm. All of them are rubbish if you think they merit you mm-hmm. that grace. Mm-hmm. You you talked a little bit about the difference between imputed and imparted righteousness. Yeah, and uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the difference there because that was real good. Well, there are some denominations that talk about imparted grace uh-huh. that when you sit down with the cup and the bread, that God imparts His grace to you when you take mm. the body and blood. Mm-hmm. That is not what the Scripture says. Mm-hmm. The scripture says that. His righteousness has been imputed, put on you. Not you do your part and I'll do my part. Mm-hmm. But it has been granted or given to you. And in that, I mean, like at the moment of salvation, the moment of repentance, you get the righteous robe, you get the signet ring, you get the sandals, mm-hmm. and you get the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so this raises a very fascinating conversation that I was just having today. Throughout 
the history of the church, and you can even look around today, you can divide. So the the impartation or the communication of how God would feed you spiritually mm-hmm. is viewed in. So you gave all those examples, like so in the liturgical traditions, they're viewing that sacrament moment as the part where, and that's the sustaining grace that I get is by participating in that communion. For a Reformed or maybe Baptist, it's like, no, when the sermon is preached, that's when I'm getting some of this nourishing grace for my, you know. And then in the charismatic traditions, it's like, man, when we're expressing the gifts, we're experiencing the gifts, we're singing or praying for healing or or speaking in tongues or whatever, that's when, you know, I'm getting those experience of God's grace. Are you saying that there aren't any things, like, are there some things that, Convey this is maybe too crazy to talk about, but uh, are there things that that communicate grace like like that? Like I know you're saying that that maybe not salvific righteousness being imparted, righteousness. But James does make this promise on God's behalf: draw Mm -hmm. near to me, and I will draw near to you. Jesus gives this invitation: abide in me, and I will abide in you. Mm -hmm. So that is true. Like. God is saying, take the first step and lean in and watch me Mm. scoop you up Mm -hmm. through whatever, through sermons, through serving, through sacraments, through Mm -hmm. whatever, okay? But that is not, I mean, the impartation of grace at communion is Jesus plus. It is, man. It's a works-based righteousness added unto Mm -hmm. salvation. Just like the people that say you got to get baptized to be saved. That Mm -hmm. is an impartation of his grace once you get under the water. Right. That's Jesus plus. That Paul would say, rubbish. Mm-hmm. Scubulon. Impartation of of saving grace. Correct. Yes. Yes. It, I would say it is an experience in the grace that has been impute, imparted or the righteousness that has been imputed. Right? So what I'm remembering, one of the things I'm remembering in communion mm-hmm. Obviously, it's the broken body and the shed blood, and that the bread and the wine, as I would hold it and experience it, are uh, to Paul's point around the circumstance, they're outward symbols that, that help the spirit, the, the, the help me remember well the whole gospel which is the radical grace that has been imparted and imputed on me that has, it alone makes me righteous. Does that make sense? And so what wells up in me is not a new grace or a different grace. It is the 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 fountain of ever-flowing grace that's been given to me. Does that make sense? And so I'm having an experience that's reminding me what's what is true of me. Is that fair? That is fair. The way uh, Luther's Catholicism would have taught it like a gas tank and you're running out and you refuel on the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. That's impartation. Mm -hmm. What Britt is describing is your gas tank is full of the Holy Ghost, bathed in grace, and it's a remembrance that 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 never changes. Mm -hmm. Now, the two extremes would be like, an impartation of grace through transubstantiation would be the extreme in one direction. Mm-hmm. The other extreme, too far in my opinion, it is no, it is merely a symbol. Mm-hmm. I'm a little. I'm like. I'm towards the symbolic to remember the 
the body and blood, but I'm uh, Paul calls it in Corinthians a cup of blessing. So there is a blessing of God when you partake at mm-hmm. the table. Yeah, that is beyond just remembering the facts that He yeah. died for you. Yeah, if it's just a mental exercise, then I can just do that sitting at home. You know, there's got to be something more to it than that. Yeah, there is, man. Yeah. Uh, well, you gave I love the illustration about half the gospel. Oh yeah, and. Uh, you know, if you only believe half the gospel, it's like your debt's been forgiven, but you're still broke. And that's Ray Cortez. Yes. That is not original to me, but I would rather be effective than original, so. <laughs> and uh, I think, doesn't that, I don't remember if he ever said this or if he told us this later, but the illustration goes further. It's like, it's not just that he forgave the banker, didn't just forgive the debt. He he brings you out a platinum card. Correct. And says, this is my credit, personal credit line. You never have to pay the bill. Right. Oh yeah, he, the the whole of that illustration is you broke into the bank and are trying to steal. Yeah. And you get arrested, you mm-hmm. get caught. And they take you to prison. And then all of a sudden you're in prison one day. And every illustration breaks down somewhere, but they take you to prison one day. Somebody comes in and says you get to you're getting to leave prison. This, this man right here, is, he's going to take your place. And you're like, what? He's like, no, he's, he's, he's going in. You're coming out. And you're like, what? He's like, yeah, that, the man that owns the bank, that's his son. Mm-hmm. He's going in the jail cell, and you're coming out free. And then you come out free, and they take you straight to the bank in the nicest car you've ever been in in your entire life. Right. And then you get to the bank, and the man who owns the bank says, I know you're trying to steal from me. But we love we love you, and we've paid for your life, and we've now written you into the family will. The enti- you you own the bank with me. That's the whole measure of Ray's Correct. illustration, mm. and and then you can take it one step further, which is that after a couple of days, the sun comes out of the prison and burns that bad boy to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> but that that is the whole the whole of the gospel, you know, yeah, and, and that. You know, you didn't do a thing. You didn't lift a finger in God's direction. Mm-hmm. And listen, he, he set you totally free and gave you everything. Look, I shared this with you guys earlier in the week, just unrecorded. The reason we have to be reminded of this. So last week, I'm sick and can't preach. So not only did I miss Thursday and Sunday twice, I'm not even that sick. Like, I feel like I could probably just suck it up. And be fine and get everybody else sick too. Because it was very contagious, right? Mm-hmm. But then I also miss a vision summit, which I'm supposed to preach three times and meet these. I mean, there's so many things. And I wake up on Sunday morning with the whispers as loud as I've ever heard them in a long time. Mm-hmm. And the word I hear is failure. Failure. And the reason is because I'm thinking I didn't do my part, mm-hmm. I'm not performing. Mm-hmm. And I just have to, and it wasn't just on the preaching front, man. It was like the home front, the personal front. There was just like a lot of, there's, you know, it just kind of starts stacking up, right? Mm -hmm. And you, and that's what it is. And Paul here, so I start working on this sermon while I'm listening to you preach online. I'm working on this one. And he's like, hey, let me tell you the same thing again, kid. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be safe. This is a safe place for you to land Mm -hmm. that. The, the performance trap is over. Like how you're doing as a dad and how you're doing as a husband and how you're doing as a preacher. 
do not determine what I think about you. And we love that A.W. Tozer quote, right? The most important thing about you is what you think when you think about God. Mm-hmm. And I know that he's not disappointed in me because Jesus is the propitiation for my sin. But I get disappointed in me and then and then start believing the lies. So the thing I can fall into is it's Jesus plus my my obedient performance to him. Mm-hmm. And then begin to evaluate my relationship with God that has imputed his righteousness upon me and try to add to it by working hard. Mm. Now, that's different than I want to work hard because he's invited me into the kingdom as his co-heir and I get to I get to co-labor with him in the building of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. But listen, I just feel like, not that I'm super Christian, man, but if I can get there... By the, by the generosity of this church and the grace of God, all I get to do is study the Bible and teach the Bible. It's all I do. Mm-hmm. And, and I can get there in a minute. Yeah. So I think that's why we have to be reminded of this. I felt like the kid who got forgiven of his debt, and I walked out with no money in my pocket and had to get to work. Mm-hmm. That's a, I think that's a normal Christian experience. So anybody yeah. experiencing that, like, Needing to be reminded, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, that's a normal experience. I was listening to a sermon recently on Psalm 43, and it's full of these seeming contradictions. It's like, God, you're my refuge. Vindicate me from my enemies. Why are you so far away? Why aren't you listening? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to go to God, and why are you downcast on my soul? And all these different things. And uh, it's just a great reminder that that's, a, that's kind of a normal experience. I experience it every day, you know. Well, part of the reason I just share it, and and I share it when I preach too, yeah. is I don't know, man. If if you got to fake it, then if I got to fake it to be the preacher here, you ain't gonna like me as your preacher. So mm-hmm. I would rather just um just try to live my life in pursuit of Christ. I mean, next week we're gonna hear where he says, "Imitate me." Paul mm-hmm. says, "Imitate me." Good. Now, it's right after he said, not that I've already attained perfection. (laughs) So I think, I hope what he's saying is, if you need to see somebody that constantly struggles and stumbles and fall, but we fall upon grace, and then the good Heavenly Father picks us back up, and by the Spirit of God, here we go again, then I'll be a good one for you to imitate. So Mm -hmm. that's more of the ethos behind my preaching than, let me tell you what I've figured out, folks. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, he gives Paul gives in this in this text, you know, the one of his more famous resume statements of like, yeah. hey, here's of all the people who could try to impress you with my achievements and my background, and and then he so he stacks it all up, which is you you did a great job explaining the significance of it, but even so, it's kind of like we talk we're talking about earlier with the the religious tradition. It's hard for us not being in that culture to really feel the weight of what right, he's saying, yeah. you know. But he, he stacks all this up, this weight up, and then says, "I consider that all a loss compared to the surpassing gain of knowing Christ." So, and you made a statement: we have to repent of our wretchedness, but also of our resume. Unpack that a little bit more, and repent of our religion and of our self righteousness. All right, even. Pagans believe you have to repent of your sin, whatever they define sin as. Right. Everybody thinks you need to turn away 
from mm-hmm. the bad mm-hmm. based on whatever your definition of bad is. Okay, mm-hmm. that's not there. The the scandal of the gospel is, bro, you got to turn away from your own self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Like on your best day, mm-hmm. if you think that earns you a right standing mm-hmm. or your resume. I mean, that's the Matthew 7 thing. There's going to be people get to heaven, and he goes, you're in the wrong line. And they go, what? Have you seen my resume? That's mm-hmm. what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know you. Mm-hmm. And of your religion, if religion is man's attempt to be made right with God, mm-hmm. that we have to repent of all of that. Have you heard? Have you ever heard somebody say to you something like, "Are you sure my na- my neighbor is like they're such nice people? Sure, they're such good. They do they do more good for people in the community than I do. And you're telling me they're not going to be in heaven." That's what it sounds like. Yeah, for sure. What? <laughs> I mean, it just comes down to atonement of sin. Uh-huh. So what can wash away their sin? Right. Are you saying they're sinless? Because right. even Paul didn't say he was sinless in his resume. He said he was blameless. Those are two different things. Mm-hmm. That means he had made the Levitical prescribed atonements for his sin. That's what made him blameless. If he was perfect... He would have made the claim that the rich young ruler made. I've kept all these since childhood. Now, that's mm. just a lie. He ain't lying. He is blameless because he has paid off all his debt via mm. animal sacrifice. Mm. And so what are you going to do? How do you atone for sin? None but the blood of Jesus. That's or, just, or you pay for it yourself. That is it. You can self-atone. You can self-atone or you can trust Jesus. Those are your two choices. Yeah, substitutionary atonement or self-atonement. And self-atone means you pay for your sins forever. Mm-hmm. Because it would, even after forever, you don't have what it takes to pay the cost of sin. Right. Sin against an eternal God would require an eternal punishment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's infinite in nature. And so the, you know, the, the, the parable Jesus tells of the tax collector and the um, Pharisee, that's really like, if you go to, to, to that text, that's a really great, Jesus explaining what Paul is also talking about here in regards to, you know, answering your question in regards to, you know, righteous, re- repenting of your own righteousness. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is the terrifying reality of the New Testament. Yeah. It is that it, it's not the terrifying reality of the Bible is not that God is wrathful towards sin or even that God abhors the wicked. We're actually pulling for him. We just don't think we're wicked. <laughs> That's right. And so we're, we, want, we, we want a God of justice against all the things that we categorically think deserve yeah. justice. Yeah, grace towards me, justice right. towards thee. But the the terrifying part of the New Testament is not that God judges the wicked. The terrifying is that is that our our righteousness is a filthy rag, and that we we're wicked. You know what I mean? And and that's. But back to the scandal of grace. Like, I don't know that we'll ever know it in full. I, I don't know, but there is a depth to depravity that is just. It runs so deep and so far that if we ever really caught a glimpse of the measure at, from what that we from what we've been saved from, 
we really caught that image. Mm-hmm. Man, these kind of like, if we ever really caught a picture of, of how worthless our works are in regards to salvation and appeasing a holy God, boy, it changes the way you live. You know what I mean? So I think in so many churches these days, um, there's there's a lot of churches that lo- that want to talk about the love of God as you should cuz God is love. Yes. But if you do that in absence of the holiness of God, mm. then you lose who God is because these things have to be held in tension and one without the other. You know, it's like a pup tent, you got to pull from both sides to keep the thing up. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't if you just teach the love of God without the holiness of God, you don't know the love of God. Mhm. And if you teach the holiness of God without the love of God, then then you don't know who God is, mm-hmm. all right? And yeah. and the cross is the place where holiness and the love of God intersect. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 3 when he says, because of his holiness, all sin must be judged, right? Because of his mercy, he delays the payment. And because of his grace, he, he is the just and the justifier. Mm. And so... Part of the reason why I hammer on the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and make sure everybody knows, talk about repeating stuff, that we're wretched, black-hearted sinners, that what we deserve is hell. Mm -hmm. The reason I hammer that is because I don't want people to just get the Bible bookstore version of Jesus where he, where, um, because what a lot of people think is not God is love, but love is God. And that is a dangerous, Mm -hmm. dangerous Heresy. Mm-hmm. Love is not God. Mm-hmm. God is holy, righteous, just. Mm-hmm. And God is love, mercy, grace. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you're saying, bro. If you I mean, man, you see these people, I just I think it's it's sad, it's tragic, but it's funny. There's couple of libs that were like, no, people are basically good. Our media has just said that the Taliban is evil, so we're gonna bike ride across. They dead. Mm-hmm. They're dead. They killed them. They they did this. You heard of these people? It was like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were going to bike ride across Afghanistan in the Taliban run areas because people are basically good. The Taliban killed them and drug their bodies through the street. Mm-hmm. People ain't good, man. Mm. Nobody believes people are good. If you do, you wouldn't lock your doors. Mm. You wouldn't have a you wouldn't have a code on your iPhone. Mm. Everybody knows. Everybody has a hint of everyone else's potential depravity and actualized depravity. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is like, man, to sin against a holy God, you have no idea. I mean, it is tyranny against the king, and it is a capital and corporal punishment. Mm. Yeah. You said something so great. You said morality will keep you out of jail, just not out of hell. That is a fact. There's some good people going to hell. Mm. Real good people, good old. I mean, good in the sense of like. More, I mean, Jesus moral, says no man is good, but moral, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like good citizens, yeah, yeah pay their taxes. But here's the thing, man. I mean, reality is fear keeps a lot of people straight way more than morality. Hmm. Most people are just chicken to do the bad thing they want to do. Right, right. I mean, seriously, they want to steal that money. They're just afraid to get caught. Yeah, they want to punch the guy in the face. They just don't want to pay the consequences. Yeah, it's interesting when you we sing that. There's a line, a song we sing regularly, but one of the lines is "Holy, um, holy, no one else is like you." 
and every now and then that word holy will pop up in a song, right? And you're talking about the holiness of God and the and I think a lot of times the the trap you can fall into is that you begin to think that God, the sovereign, is just like a better, stronger, bigger version of us. A better behaved, a writer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's man. like he's like a bigger he's like a bigger, badder, better human that's just real fast. You know? <laughs> And, and you know, pretty I'm, fast. But but the the word holy is set apart. We know this. But the way that I was taught to think about R.C. Sproul taught a great session on the holiness of God. He may be one of the few people that's ever actually dared to write a book on it. There's not a whole lot of books on the holiness of God because it's such an immense. I taught on it one time in a doctrine class and it almost killed me. You should do the doctrine classes again. Well, yeah, we'll talk. We'll, we, we can discuss. <laughs> but I have a lot of people talk to me about that. Uh, yeah. If y'all want Brent uh, to do doctrine classes, email Ryan.Brinky. Yeah, at coet.com. But anyway, he's completely other. That's it. He's completely other. He's not like us. And I think we can fall into the like, we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ, who is fully God and fully man. And I get, I get it. But God is completely other. He, he, he is altogether himself and alone. So let's explain what that means. Okay, so Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, right, at the well. Mm-hmm. And he says, God is spirit. Okay? So he's talking about the holiness of God. Here's what he's saying. He goes, you are, you are caught in the time-space continuum you are in time, you are in space, and you are made of matter. Before there was time and space, I mean, we learned this in like freshman freshman biology. In the words of my biology teacher, there was the Big Bang, and that's when time, space, and matter all came into existence. Okay. Before that, there's, there's something that's not that, mm-hmm. that has to instigate that. All right? And it's funny, you, you ask people like Christopher Hitchens what they did. You know what he came up with? Aliens. <laughs> he said, this, no, it's aliens. And you're like, who made those aliens? His best answer, other aliens. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, it's like the Russian doll of aliens. You know? But anyway, so we would go, exactly what you're saying. Okay, so the words Jesus uses is spirit, other, holy. This, he's not bound by time. Mm-hmm. He's not bound by space. And he's not made by matter. Mm-hmm. That's the holy God. So how do you know him? Mm-hmm. How do you know who he is? Mm-hmm. He, it has to be revelation. Mm-hmm. So he puts on matter, puts on flesh, is born into space and time and says, hey, mm-hmm. it's me, and reveals himself to humanity. Mm-hmm. But that's what you're talking about, man. That, sure. that is holy. And because he is infinite, there's not like a day, even when we get to heaven, we're not going to get to heaven and be like, oh, a little taller than I thought. No, 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 no. It's just going to be like, oh, continuously forever in awe of the otherness of who God is. Mm-hmm. And and worship will just ooze out of you and it'll be the best day of your life for the rest of eternity of your days. Yeah, in Revelation, it tells us that there's no sun 
Right. Think about what 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 we're saying. That there there's not a need for the sun. <laughs> if the sun burned a little bit hotter right now, you did. Mm-hmm. If it loses enough steam or enough heat, you did. We get any closer to it, we did. We can't f- comprehend a world whereby we don't need, the, need the sun. The earth spins out of orbit into nowhere. I mean, you begin that there's no, like, our understanding of gravity is completely unhinged. Yeah, man. Yeah, and, and they, in John the Revelator gets an image of the new Jerusalem, the new earth, the new heaven, and it says, we don't need the sun because Jesus lights the place up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different than like he's your homeboy or he's your co-pilot or you, you know what I mean? Like when we're talking about in Philippians, you, I don't know. I guess the, the point at which we're getting at is that the the immensity of of God has put himself on display and made himself accessible and he has done all the work necessary in order for you to live life eternally under his holy perfect righteousness and rule and reign and he's so holy he's so perfect He's so sovereign, he's so immense that we won't even need the sun because he's got that he's got that covered too. You tracking with me? And then, and then here's the other side of the coin, though. So that you you need it, you can't get your mind around it, but you need to try. And then so he's so big, and then he gets so personal, mm-hmm. where Paul's like, "And I know him, mm-hmm. I know." Christ Jesus. I mean, who's the most who's the most famous person you know that knows you? Because that's the real key. Mm-hmm. Like you may know somebody, but they know you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? For sure. And and the one that you're describing, not only does he know like know about you, but like he knows you and wants to know you. Mm. Like want, Jesus calls his disciples friends, calls us friends. Mm. That the one that lights up the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem is like that's my boy Britt. I love that guy. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, "Rejoice, rejoice in him." Yep, that's who we're rejoicing in is in the Lord. Connect, connect this thought to getting hit by the grace train. You know, um, when he says, "For his sake, I have counted the loss of all things." There's got to be simultaneously that experience of the holy weight. R.C. Sproul in the beginning of that book talks about this experience at college where he goes into this chapel. And he's like on his face praying, and he's crying out to God. And there's just this experience, and all he could all he could describe it as is holy. It's if you've tasted a little bit of that, it's not like a Jesus is my homeboy. It's like a, I'm terrified I could die right now, you yeah. know. And yet that that closeness, the combination of that, like. He's holy and yet draws close to me. I think that isn't that the grace train you talk about. 
right? It's both of those things. It's not just, oh, he just lavishes love. No, no, it's who is loving, That's right? right. Yeah, <clears throat> and which, um, if you keep reading, which we'll talk about next week, it is the it is the love the lavish love of the holy God upon mm-hmm. us that then compels us to press on, mm-hmm. like to get to work for the sake of the gospel, to do the work, to dig into your relationship with Jesus and be used of God to change this world so that other people mm-hmm. could know Him like He knows us and we know Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. The, the Grace Train illustration, man, is is about there is no justification without evidence of sanctification. Mm. That's it. Yeah. How in the world could you say that you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I'm not saying everything changes because you're not perfect. You haven't achieved yeah. that yet. Yeah. But boy, you should be different. Yeah. So he says, count everything is lost. I was I was having a conversation today with uh, somebody in our church who's 20-something and feeling called to, to missions. And the experience in the background is not missions. It's like uh, educated in financial analysis, right? And then going into the frontline mission field to preach in the bush of Africa, right? Um, So when when you're talking about, I counted all as loss, how would you connect that to how God redeems our experience, including our education. You know what I mean? Especially for maybe somebody in their 20s or somebody about to retire. So are they thinking, hey, I'm going to count it all as loss and I'm going to go to do something completely different? I think it's more like, yeah. Sometimes, I, maybe. There, there's, some, there's some like English breakdown here. Okay. God's not wasting your time in your education at all, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, David doesn't look back on his career as a shepherd as a waste of time, and that was a loss. You know, mm-hmm. that was God's preparation so that he could be king. Mm-hmm. I mean, my time in college studying biology was not a waste of time whatsoever. It was the environment God had me in whereby he would call me to ministry. I think my college time might have been a waste. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to show up. Like, go to class. <laughs> I didn't go that much either, but whatever. Um, but it's like compared to the surpassing knowledge of Jesus mm. Christ. So the, the person that's the financial analyst, okay, or well, use me, okay, I I, I, I didn't study that hard, but I am I got into med school. Mm. So looking forward. Doc Martin. Right. Looking forward, <laughs> um, I really thought I was giving something up. And in the eyes of the world, I was. I was giving up a seat at the Medical College of Virginia. I was giving up respect and honor. I was giving up money. Mm-hmm. I was giving all that stuff up to be a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, normal people would be like, what are you doing? All right, in retrospect, as I look back, I would be like, a degree from MCV, if I'm not called to be a doctor, this is nothing against doctors, man. Man, that is worthless compared to the fact that I got to lead kids to Christ and disciple kids and you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think he's, that's what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, all right, so I gave up finances, I gave up esteem, I gave up religious power, I gave up political power, I gave mm-hmm. all of that stuff up. But I don't feel like I sacrificed anything. Mm-hmm. If I have to give up, it's like giving up saltines to get a bite of a filet. Mm-hmm. You're not, what are you giving up? And it certainly was true for Paul that all the things that he gained in that experience 
were put to use. Yeah. Right. You can 100%. see how he analyzes the Old Testament, analyzes the scriptures, and applies them in preaching the gospel. I mean, so even his terrorism, man. God mm-hmm. used that. I mean, think about this. For years, he he learns how to chase down running Christians. Mm-hmm. Then one day he's on the run. Mm-hmm. So who knows better to get how to get away from the cops than the people that used to be cops, right? <laughs> At least that's what my brothers told me. So <clears throat> they know all the tricks. They know where people look. They know, right? And yeah. so God even uses that because he's on the run, staying alive, sharing the gospel, getting lowered out of rooms and walls and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, he ends by talking about knowing Christ, what you just talked about a minute ago, sharing his sufferings, uh, and becoming like him. And you, you talked about following Jesus all the way to the cross. Unpack that a little bit more. The call to, the call to, <clears throat> to follow Christ is a call to die. Yeah, man. This uh, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Boy, we'd love to put a period there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, give me some of that power. Who <laughs> wants some resurrection power? <clears throat> well, it only comes through sharing in his sufferings. I mean, listen. Sometimes I have these thoughts and I say them, and I think they're profound, but they're so simple. Mm -hmm. So like by definition, if you don't take steps in the direction that the good shepherd is calling you, then by definition, you are not following him. Mm -hmm. And to be a follower means you go where they go. And Jesus went to the cross. So to be a a follower of Jesus means you die to yourself. Now, for a bunch of Christian history, that was literal. Mm -hmm. Currently for us, it is not in Jacksonville. But there is still this, I I am taking all of me and my flesh to the cross to be crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then in doing so, being like him in his death, that is fully and ultimately surrendered. And I think this is, again, I think Paul gets real like Romansy at this section. And the, illust- the, the, really, the full illustration of this is in Philippians 2. Mm-hmm. That your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Right. So follow him to the cross. Yeah. And good news, you will follow him into the resurrection to the newness of life. He counted it as loss. Yeah. Um, well, HB said a couple of weeks ago, man, we ain't sacrificed nothing. When you begin to get your mind around the idea that the second person of the Trinity mm-hmm. stood up off the throne, took his crown off, and Peter Pan down here into a baby in a manger, mm-hmm. bro, you ain't sacrificing nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, Pastor Joby, I'd love for you to pray as we're meditating on verse eight there, you know, counting everything loss. For some people, for many of us, there's that's a very significant and weighty thing. You know, there's some there's some strongholds maybe of wealth or image or uh, unwillingness to sacrifice. And what we're praying for in this series, and I know in this study, is that the vision of Christ would be so clear that it would be an easy choice. That's it. You know. And so I just love for you to pray for our folks that that would be sure. how we. Our good and gracious heavenly Father, Lord, um, I, I just I just pray what Vinky just said, Lord. Would you just um, clear out our eyes, clean out our vision, give us eyes to see you for who you are—a glorious, holy, other spirit, 
and yet full of grace and mercy and abounding in love, that you are a God who would wrap yourself in humanity and come on a rescue mission for us, that you are a God who would bleed and send your son to die on a cross. Jesus, that you are a God who would not stay dead, but we resurrected from the grave, that you would put death to death, and that you are the God that always keeps and fulfills your promises. And so you made promises like you're going to prepare a place for us, and you promised that you were going to come back and get us. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray that we would, we would lift up our eyes over the horizon of the situations that we find ourselves in and fix our eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, our sovereign Savior. And we would get such a, a picture of you and an understanding of your magnificent beauty that all of the rest of the temporary things of this world, our resume, our wretchedness, our religion, our self-righteous activity, that it would just all be trash compared to knowing you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it.